I'm sharing something today. I prayed. Pastor Alex asked me to, to share today, and I really sought the Lord. And I have a few things that I've taught in the past that I usually fall back to. Oh, I'll teach on that. But the Lord really laid on my heart, and I think partly because of where the church is and where we're going, a particular subject that I had honestly never taught on. I've read about this a lot. So I, I did some study, and I want to share that with you, and it's about God's standards for leadership in the church. And honestly, I think leadership in the whole of the world, really, that these standards that the Lord presents apply to us all. Um, but before I get into that, I want to be clear that there's standards and expectations, really even qualifications in order to be a leader in the church. And honestly, it's, it's these standards that I use to qualify people of leadership of any sort. Even when I was doing some hiring, uh, when I was a manager in another job, uh, when I oversaw a couple things, I would use these as standards to make some choices about who to, to, to gain. And also, even with politics, when I'm considering different politicians, which we just came through a big election, I will use some of these standards to try to choose who I think is closest to what would be the best for our country's uh, future. Um, but before I get into those standards, I want to talk about the fact that the standards are not what saves us. Those standards that Jesus is looking for for leaders are not what qualify us for salvation or for our time in heaven. And so I want to start off with that. Look at the scripture in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. So when we talk about these qualifications for leadership, this isn't something we can boast on and say, well, hey, that makes me a little... We are all equal at the foot of cross. And I have to tell you, whenever you're sharing something where you see the only... Boy, I need to grow in that subject. I need to be better in this. I'm pointing at me as much as I'll be sharing this with you. Like, man, these are all places where I need to grow and become more in order to be qualified to lead anyone, uh, particularly in the church. Another scripture, the one we're all familiar with, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The standard for salvation is repentance, asking God to forgive us, and submitting to him and, and humility before God, and then all are welcome. And I would say that same standard is true in this church. We're not expecting anyone. In fact, no perfect people allowed is our, is our motto. So everyone is welcome here. But if you're going to lead, there is a level of qualification. And if you think about some of the other things that we love to see people qualified in before we trust them with something valuable, like our lives, I've had a couple minor surgeries in my past, and I wanted the guy who was going to be doing those to be qualified before he could ever do anything with me. I've flown on a couple uh, flights. My son's getting ready to fly back to L.A. I'm hoping that that guy is very well qualified to fly all those people back to Los Angeles later today before my son and daughter-in-law, who I love very much, get on that plane. So these are some of the qualifications. Many of you, how many people have children here today? I'm guessing you, you guys are very particular about anybody who gets to be around your kids. If you're a good parent, I certainly was. I looked you over very carefully. I checked your background. I made sure you were going to be a safe influence for my children if you're going to be around them. Okay? Anybody could come to my home and eat with my kids. But if you're going to be alone with my kids, have influence in their life, I've got to know who you are. And this is really the same thing when it comes to trusting someone to lead people in the church. The very last command Jesus gave before he left this earth was go into all the world and make disciples, right? 
that is the call of God, what we're called to do. So this is the right thing for us to do, but there are qualifications for us to be in that position. Paul said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So once again, all the things we're going to name, these are not what qualifies us to, to be part of God's kingdom, to be part of the church. But these are things that are qualifying us to lead the church and to lead others. I have to be, I'm going to start off with a point of vulnerability where a place where God had to work on me in order to qualify me. And it's actually not even list, listed in this group, but I think it's actually worse than any of the things I'm about to share with you. I had an issue with pride. I grew up in, a, in a, a Christian home. I had a dad who was very proud of me, and he told me how amazing it was, and the problem was is I believed him. I thought I was pretty phenomenal. And, you know, and I didn't struggle with some of the things that all my friends did. I didn't have trouble with addictions. I didn't, I didn't get any girls pregnant before marriage. I didn't fall into some of those pits. So the problem with that is I started to think that made me better than others. And, you know, it made me like a Pharisee. If you know in the Bible, the people Jesus disliked the most and had the hardest time with were people who thought they were better than others in the kingdom of God. And so the Lord had to reveal to me, there's something coming through you that's prideful before you can ever lead anyone else. You need to recognize you are, you are in some ways far more uh, disappointing to me than the person who just walked out of prison and, and murdered somebody. Jesus had compassion on people who were humble, but he resisted the proud, and God had to change that in my heart. So as I'm sharing this with you, I'm, I'm telling you, as I'm reading these things, I'm saying, God, change me. Help me. And I will say, God, it took time, but God did change my heart so that I can say it honestly now when I look at you, I realize we're all equal at the sight of cross, that none of us deserve heaven, but through God's grace, thank God, we're saved, and we get to spend eternity with Christ. We get to worship and, and grow together, and that's the wonderful thing. I really believe, especially I've got a chance to talk briefly to Pastor Alex right before I came out, I believe that this message was something that God put on my heart partly because of the future of where we're going with fellowship, with uh, LifePoint Fellowship. I think God is about to do some great growth here. Well, whenever there's growth, there needs to be more leaders to step in. If, they're gonna, if God's going to bless us with more people, we need more leaders to disciple them. And that's why I think this is, is that some of you here today, I want you to listen as I le read through the list. And some of it can be hard to hear because you're like, oh, God, I need to be better in that. But that process of God exposing something we need to grow in can help us become more and more prepared to be good disciplers to the people God entrusts us with. Does that make sense? And so I'm excited to share with you the, uh, all of it. Before I d get into that, the, the last thing I want to say is this. The standards of what makes someone appealing to the Lord as a leader are very different than the standards in the world. If you think about what makes us impressed what makes the world impressed, even in politics and other things, we're impressed with people with a lot of charm, people that are well-spoken, people that maybe are, are taller, I wouldn't qualify there, uh, people that have nice hair, once again, I'm having trouble here, uh, maybe they're wealthy, and we are, we're impressed by power and wealth, none of these things are on God's list for, for Patton, so if you're like me and you're short and bald, you're going to still qualify as a possible leader, and it, even if you're not super wealthy, and if you're not all the things that the world is impressed by, God is not. He's looking for a different list, and that's what I want to go through. So the scripture we're going to go from is from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and I want to just read through this, and then I'm going to, I'm going to go through each individual uh, subject one at a time. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 says this, it is a trustworthy statement 
if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. I'd say if any man or woman desires, desires that office, it is a fine work he or she desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I'm going to just pray over us that God would, if there's something that you read, because as I read these, I'm always thinking of things that I'm not perfect in and asking God, God, help me to be more like you in that particular subject. So, Lord, would you just speak to each of us? And I, I, as I look in this room, I have a sense that there are people that you're, going, you're raising up as great leaders in our church and even in the community, Lord. And would this be something that they begin to allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit to grow them in so that they can be qualified to lead people in the church? In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with the very first. I'm going to go down. There's a long list here. It's about 18 things. The number one thing is, it says, it is a fine work that they desire to do. So it's saying if you want to be a leader in the church, they're saying that's a good thing to want. It's not, it's not prideful to say, I'd like to be a leader. I'd like to disciple people. It's how the church grows. So you're saying, God, use me to influence children, teens, young adults, uh, people within the church as a pastor, as a Sunday school teacher, as a worship leader. In all the various facets, because if we're going to have a successful church, there is a, a huge array of places that we need people to step up to be for this church to be all that God's called it to be, right? And so it's good to say, God, show me where my place is. Show me how I can be a leader here in the church and be part of your, your kingdom of what you're doing here in Tyler. Number two, this is something I just looked up. This isn't on the list here. It says, I looked up exactly what is the job because one level of leadership is an elder. And I was looking up what exactly is the job of an elder, for instance. And it says it's to lead, pray for the sick, care for the church, and be an example for others to follow, to set church policy, and to ordain and choose leaders. And can I tell you that one of the things that encourages me about our church is I've gotten to know each of, uh, each of the elders here, and they're all people that are, are well-qualified, that I would say meet all these qualifications I'm about to, and people that are genuinely both with the style, the way they live their life, the way they conduct themselves, are people that we can put our trust in that God is leading them, that with the fear of the Lord, they're leading this church. And I, that encourages me. The first qualification is to be above reproach. Now, I have to admit, there are some people in here that are very well educated. I am not on that list. I had to look up some of the definitions on these issues, you guys. So if you're one of these people with several letters behind your qualifications, PhD, master's, etc., like my son, for instance, is a lawyer, uh, you go, oh, yeah, I know what that means. I had to look these up. One of, these, one of the names on this thing I'd never heard of, pugnacious. If you'd have said, Steve, what was pugnacious? I, well, it's probably somebody who likes to own a dog called a pug. This guy walking down the street, walking his dog. Oh, that guy's pretty pugnacious. Not what it means. We're going to get to that. 
So number one, above reproach. Above reproach says that no criticism can be made of you. Okay? Now, all of us have something that's unperfect. By nature, that's who we are. But being above reproach means that someone couldn't put a charge on you that could be held against the church. So if you've had something against you, you may need to work through an issue in your life before you'd be in a position of leadership. If, by chance, that could that could have come back and affect the church or, or hurt your position of, of, of leadership there. We all come in with a lot of baggage. I told, shared with you my pride issue was worse than anything on this list um, that God needed to work out in me. We all come in with something, so God may need to work it out in you. But if you're currently in a place where there's a criticism that could be bought, we, we may need to wait until we work through that issue before you move into a position of leadership. Number, number The next one is the husband of one wife. And I will tell you, I did a little study on this, and I, I'm sure there's more study, and there's probably multiple opinions, but one of the things that people would say is like, well, does that mean you should have never been divorced? As I did my personal study, I don't think that's what it means. I would say very quickly, after a divorce, it might not be the right time to put, go into a position of leadership while you're working through things, but it means really, primarily, that you are a one-woman man or a one-man woman. And that you're, you're committed to the spouse that God's given to you. You're not using the church as a place to flirt with others. Obviously, uh, we're, not a, we're not Mormons, so we know multiple wives is not even on the, on the life. But, but in terms of, of that you are committed to the person God's given you, right? And that you are committed to that. That you're not, and if you're also a single, because Paul was single, doesn't mean you have to be married to be, a, to be an elder. You, uh, you're not using the church as a place to try to connect or, or bring women into your life. You're using the church as a place that your first commitment is to either the wife or the husband you're with or as a single person to the good of the church. You may meet your wife, but that's not what you're using the place for. The next one on the list is not addicted to wine. Um, I, one of my, uh, a very close friend of mine uh, has had a problem throughout most of his life. And you guys, if you were to meet them, he would become your instantly your favorite person just kind and fun and generous, but he has struggled his whole life uh, with, with addiction, and it's always been hard. He's, and, and he was sober for quite a while. Unfortunately, he's not again, um, but he's really struggled with this issue, and he, what's, wonderful, what's weird is he does have certain things that are worthy of following. He's a hard worker. Uh, he's very kind and generous to others, but this issue of being in an addiction is something that needs to come under control before you can be trusted to lead the church, right? So this is not saying that that instantly eliminates you, but it should be something that you're not currently walking in. The next thing is prudent. Another one I had to look up the definition of, you guys. Quite a few of these, actually. Uh, showing care for the future and planning to head is what prudent means. So you're not just worried about today. You're planning for the future. If you're going to lead the church, you're thinking about what has God called us to do? What has God called LifePoint Fellowship to do in the, fu the future? And then we're thinking... How many leaders are we going to need in order to achieve that? What size building do we need? What things? We just did some repairs here. And one of the things I love about this church is we're completely out of debt. And I think that shows great financial responsibility. And so we're able to invest in things that are about people, not about just the building. And I love that. That's one of the things. But prudent, thinking about how can we prepare for the future of what God wants to do within the church. The next one is respectable. Another way to put that would be orderly or predictable. You want someone that's gonna that is is not unpredictable, that isn't impulsive, that uh, is someone you you know is going to be consistent, 
and, and, and someone you know is going to respond in a way that is predictable with people in the church that they're, they're leading and that those people trust them. That's an important thing. The next one is temperate. Had to look temperate. You guys, man, how many words on here? I was like, what is temperate? Alert or clear-headed, vigilant. So being very aware and alert of, of some of the dangers because when you're in a church and you're here and there are people that are new to the body of church, they're children, they're teens, they're vulnerable, you're alert to what's going on and how can you be of help? What's going on that could be a danger to what God's doing in the church? You're aware, you're vigilant, and you take, and you take action if needed. Self-controlled. That one kind of speaks for itself. Sober-minded. That uh, you're, you're someone that has control of your own emotions. You're not, you're, you don't tend to fly off the handle one way or the other, which anger, if, if you have a problem with anger, that could be an issue if you're not predictable in that area. So being self-controlled. This is a great one. I'm going to brag on my wife one. Hospitable. My wife, every Thanksgiving, in one way, as, long as, as far back as I can remember, would, would invite someone from outside the church, um, many times people who weren't saved that are, str- that are trying to figure out their future, invite them to come have Thanksgiving with us. And she has just always been that way. We have a guest room that we invite people to come and stay with us. We invite people, both Christian and non-Christian alike, that your home, this is one of the qualifications, becomes a place where your people are getting healed by being in your home. Whether you're doing uh, life groups like we do here at this church, and people are coming in and feeling welcomed and loved and cared for and, and nurtured, or like my wife, inviting someone to come and have a meal with you and being being nurtured by being around a family that loves one another and feeling accepted and loved themselves. So I love that about my wife. She's been a wonderful example in that area. The next one is able to teach. So I don't think able to teach means doing what I'm doing right now. There's a, I found out one of the greatest fears there is is speaking in front of people. So able to teach doesn't mean coming up and teaching in front. Able to teach means that you're able to take the scripture and apply it to situations that come up. So if, you, if there was a dispute, for instance, in an area that you're overseeing, you're able to say, so let's say, for instance, this is one that I've seen a bunch, someone in the particular group you're overseeing comes to you and say, hey, brother, I got to tell you about a, a, an issue I'm having with so-and-so. They're just a real jerk, and man, that person needs to get their act together. And uh, can we pray about, about that person? Okay, that's, that's actually not the way to handle it. That's called gossip, Right. First thing you're supposed to do is go to the person themselves and say, hey, I've got an issue with you. Can we talk? Can I pr-? And you also probably should ask the Lord if it's your heart that has a problem versus that, right? So um, it's important that you're able to teach in those moments. Say, brother, if you have a problem, I recommend you go talk to this person yourself. It's really not the, I'm not the right person to talk to. And then if for some reason they're not receptive, then the next step might be to come to me and bring me in on it. But this should be handled in a very correct and, and responsible way. So you use the scripture to teach wherever you are, whether you're teaching children in our children's church, teens, adult, and you're applying it in every given situation. Maybe if you're leading a life group, there's someone that's struggling in their marriage and you're able to open up the, script, the scripture and encourage them based on scripture, teaching them how to walk through that particular situation. So it's usually one-on-one. This is the one, pugnacious. It is not the lover of pugs. God doesn't want anyone that's pugnacious. Pugnacious means this, eager or quick to argue, quarrel or fight, or fight and not violent. So can I add, here's one of the ones I had to grow on, you guys. 
Can I tell you how many times I argued with my wife? If my wife were given 15 minutes, she could tell you all the stories of the many times I argued with her about the stupidest things. I was remembering one just today. We argued about the correct lyrics about a song one time for quite a while. I will say I ended up being right about the lyric. It doesn't matter. <laughs> She's laughing over here. But either way, it was stupid that I argued about such a ridiculous subject. How many of you guys have known people like that, that anything that comes up, they jump right into arguing with you, oh, about this politics? Or maybe, how many, maybe football. I'm a big Denver Bronco fan. I'll bet there's a few Cowboy fans in here, right? And someone says anything about the Cowboys, it's like, don't you dare even think about talking about my Cowboys. And we argue about the stupidest, most ridiculous thing. If you're one of those people, like I was, and I'm still at times have to say, I've learned a good one. Uh, a counselor actually gave me this that I've used ever since because I would argue with my wife on the dumbest things. And he said, Steve, let me give you a good line to think. When you hear your wife say something that you're sure she needs to be corrected on, here's what you say. You could be right. Guys, I, I now use that statement multiple times every week. You could be right. And that usually means I think she's wrong, but I know she could. And, and, and the problem is, is a lot of times she actually is right, right? And I have to later go, I'm sorry, you were right about that. But if you're one of these people that jumps into arguments, that's, this is not the place for that. Arguing over dumb things, that's not the place in the body of Christ to be, to be, be doing that, to not be pugnacious. The next one is gentle. And I looked up a little bit more from a scriptural standpoint what it means to be gentle. It means patient when wronged. Someone does something to you. Now, I do not like to, I grew up in Los Angeles, you guys. Don't, don't be angry, but I grew up in Los Angeles. I learned to drive in Los Angeles. When someone would cut me off on the freeway, whoo, all of a sudden all my Christianity flew right out the window, right? But, man, I would be like, okay, and my wife has seen it. I'd want to get up get right up on their bumper right or maybe even pass them and, and, and now I didn't flip them off I was a Christian so I didn't flip them off but I'd usually do something like this you know what was that okay where did that come from so maybe maybe on the freeway I wasn't the most Christian I had to learn to be self and I think I've gotten better Kirsten I've gotten a little better thank you very much um, over time but the place where you're patient when wronged so let's say for instance in the church someone makes an accusation against you and said you know Steve you should lose some weight. They're probably right that I don't respond in a hurt or, uh, or whatever manner, that I'm responding in gentleness and kindness, remembering that my response is, is important, that if you're going to be a leader, that you shouldn't be someone that jumps to anger quickly when, some, when someone's wronged you. The next one is peaceable. Another word for this is not contentious, seeking peace. That you're not someone that's always the one that's throwing, you know, some people, they're in that position, and I've, I've been this where things are going, and they've got to just throw in a subject into a conversation that's going to, you know, is going to derail and send things down a different, ultimately, God wants there to be peace in the church. And that doesn't mean we ignore when there's a problem. We also need to be prudent, right, and see if there's a problem and address it, but it should be done in a different way. So we're ultimately seeking peace. Here's a big one, free from the love of money. You realize it doesn't say free from money. So you don't have to be broke to be a part of the church. It's free from the love of money. Now, you can ha love money as a broke person, and you can love money as a rich person. I've seen both. That the broke person, that all they can think about all the time is how much more money I need, and the rich person, that all they can think is how can I get more. 
So wherever you're at in that spectrum, loving money more than God's kingdom and putting his kingdom above the gain, gaining or keeping of wealth and constantly realizing that everything I have, my ability to earn income comes as a result of my walk with God and with his blessing on my life. I could die tomorrow. Whatever I earn is a result of God blessing me to earn income and then asking the Lord, what do I do with this, right? Take care of my family. Give to the church. For us, that means giving 10% of the money God gives to us back to the church that we've committed to to continue the kingdom of God's growth. So free from the love of money. The next one is they must manage their own household wealth. Their house should be a model for others. Their children should be under control. If you can't manage your own house, how can you manage the house of God? So that doesn't mean your kids are perfect. God knows that. We'd all be in trouble if that was the case. But that means that you're managing it. You're, you're not letting your kids run crazy and harming others, other children, causing damage. Can I tell you one thing? In fact, I realize this involves my son Joshua over here, so this will be fun. Joshua wasn't always the tall, remarkable man, lawyer that he is today. He did have moments in his life. This actually wasn't your fault. You were part of it. So there's a local, a local group here where my sons were learning to do uh, hip-hop dance. And um, it was a Christian group, and it was a lot of fun, and they enjoyed it. So they had already finished their dance. So my son Michael, the next oldest to Joshua, and he were outside this building, and there were a bunch of rocks for decoration in front of this glass-plated window that surrounded this building. And my son Michael starts throwing these rocks at my son Joshua, right? Well, when he throws one of the bigger rocks, my son Joshua jumps to the side, and it hits the window, breaks the window. Some of the, the glass falls on people waiting for their kids to finish up. And when I asked Michael, Michael, why did you do that? And he goes, it wasn't my fault. Joshua moved. So Joshua, it was really your fault. You moved, and that's why. Anyway, it was a very expensive, it was like $500 plate glass window. And so my son, first I made sure he apologized to everyone, and then I had him work the money off by doing chores for us to pay it off. Another time, my kids rode in cement, and I made them work that off. I took responsibility. My kids weren't perfect, but I made sure I used everything as a chance to, to teach them responsibility and to make sure they weren't using they weren't hurting others in the community that we were a part of. It was my job is to manage my household well. And this is part of it, that in your home, that you're managing everything that God's given you responsibility. If you can't manage that, it's going to be hard to ask you to manage something in the church. So that's something we have to do. So many of these are developed right in the home. And I think that's the genius of what God does through families, is it's the perfect training ground to, to take selfish young men like me and turn them into potential leaders as we go through the process of trying to love, love our wives, love our kids, and raise them responsibly. The next one is not a new convert. So if you're a brand new convert, it's, it's not the time to jump right into leadership. As we mentioned earlier, the world seems to be impressed with ability to speak, with money, with power, with success, with good looks, all these different things, but that's not God's standard. If you're a new convert, even if you've got all of the above, you need to take some time to become mature in your faith. In fact, the scripture says that you could be conceited if you were placed into a position too soon. So it's important that we put people into position of leadership that are humble about who they are and are mature in their faith, that have a track record, if you will. The last one is they must have a good reputation with those outside the church. 
honest and trusted and those that are not with those who aren't saved as fair and respectable in the community so that a charge can't be made against the church. If you don't have a good reputation out, you've been known as someone that hasn't dealt fairly in the community, you have a bad reputation, you've hurt people, these are places where you need to go make those right and then come into the church and, and, and start to lead. All of us can look. As I read through this list, I'm sure each of us felt a level of conviction. I know I do. As I was reading through, it's like, man, there's so many areas here where I need to continue to grow in order to be a good leader. Would you ask the Lord if there's some place he, he highlighted for you of how you could grow and what area God wants to prepare you for leadership? I believe our church is about to really have some explosive growth. And people in this, in this room can be part of the leadership that's going to help that to happen. Ask God where you're supposed to be and are you the model of leadership that God wants to use to grow his kingdom in a powerful way? One of the ways he does that is with us spending time with one another. And it talks about uh, um, this idea of one man sharpens another man. One woman, we sharpen one another when we're around each other. I'm going to pick again on my friend Shane here in the front row. He's shaking his head because he's a humble man. But Shane, I love spending time with him. How many guys got to know Shane and know what a, what a wonderful guy he is, right? Just fun and, and very servant-hearted. He will do anything for the church. And so when I'm around Shane, I have to tell you, one of the things that just by hanging around him, I feel more convicted about how I could be a better servant in the church. I think that's the power of our life groups. When you hang out with other godly people, when you hang out with elders, with the pastors, with the leaders, and you spend time around them, just being around them, especially if you came out of a home that wasn't so great, you, God, changes your heart, and you have people around you that are modeling you, and we all become better. We all become greater in the kingdom of God because we serve one another and we model our, our, our growth after those that we see that we appreciate. Shane's just one example. I'm sure you know people here that you would say, oh, I've learned so much from him. I've learned so much from her. If you're not part of a life group, can I encourage you to find one? Join a group of people that get to know you, and, and it's a vulnerable thing because the problem with you get to know me is you find out I'm not perfect. My wife could have told you that, but it's absolutely true. I've got a lot of things that I'm still growing in. But when we hang out together, we all grow. We all become better. We all become sharper. We all become more equipped to do what God's called us to do here in the kingdom of God. I'm going to take one last minute and just pray for everyone. That God would just speak to this to you. I was just reading the scripture uh, from 1 Timothy 3 and applying this to me as much as I'm hoping you'll apply it to you and ask God, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What part of this do you want to speak? What part do I need to grow in in order to be qualified to make disciples here in this area? Would you stand with me? And I'm going to say a final prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for LifePoint Fellowship. Thank you, God, for what you're doing here. Thank you, Lord, for our opportunity to be doing what you've called us to do, which is to make disciples. Would you speak to each of us on these areas that we need to grow in, the places where I need to become more in order to be someone worthy of following in, in the kingdom of God? Would you show me the areas that I can improve on? We know we'll never be perfect like you, but Lord, we need you to help us become the type of people worthy of following so that our, the kingdom of God can come here in East Texas. In Jesus' name.